The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views and culture. I'm your host, Amy Brown. We're likely to be hearing more about the proposal for a federal Green New Deal as the 2020 elections approach. But here in Maine, legislation has already been proposed for a statewide Green New Deal. LD-1282, an act to establish a Green New Deal for Maine, would include targets for electric companies to increase use of renewable resources and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. It would also create a task force with members that include representatives of state government, climate science, renewable energy, youth, labor, and business. The task force would be charged with creating a plan to advance environmental sustainability, renewable energy, and economic growth for the state, including a renewable resources strategy to achieve 80% reliance on renewable resources for the electrical supply by 2040, a job training strategy to prepare workers for green jobs, and a residential energy strategy that provides incentives for installation of solar energy systems and heat pumps. It will require the Public Utilities Commission and the Efficiency Main Trust to submit a report that includes draft legislation to establish a virtual net metering program to encourage installation of solar photovoltaic energy systems on public school buildings, and it would create a commission on a just transition to a low-carbon economy to, quote, ensure that the state's transition to a low-carbon economy benefits all residents fairly and equitably, end quote. The state legislature's Joint Committee on Energy, Utilities, and Technology held a public hearing for the bill last week and a work session yesterday. Today, we're going to follow the progress of the proposed Maine Green New Deal. The committee chair that you'll hear moderating things here, at least at the beginning, is Seth Barry. We are here to hear one bill today. Um, We'll begin with committee introductions, uh, starting with Representative Kessler, and uh, take it from there. Good afternoon, everybody. I am Representative Chris Kessler. I live in South Portland and represent the center portion of South Portland and a little bit of Cape Elizabeth. Uh, good afternoon. I'm Representative Dean Rikerson uh, from representing the people of Kittery, Green District Number 1. <laughs> Hello, Senator Dave Miramont, representing Senate District 12, which is Knox County. The county seat is Rockland, and it does not include the town of Washington. Yes. And uh, as you said, we all have different stuff. I'm chair of another committee. They're waiting for me to start that meeting. I'm not going to do it, but I'll be back, and I'm going to read all your testimony. Good afternoon. Thank you for your patience. Nicole Grahowski, House District 132, Ellsworth and Trenton. Good afternoon. Chris Chiazzo, House District 28, Scarborough. Welcome, everybody. I'm Vicki Dudera. I represent the towns of Camden, Rockport, and Islesboro, which is House District 94. And we uh, do have other members who may come in. We'll try to give you the opportunity to learn who they are uh, when they arrive. Um, a couple members are out sick, and, and uh, some of us have to go present bills in other committees as well. But we do read all your testimony, so we strongly encourage you to present written testimony. If you brought it um, before you come up to, to the podium to testify, please give it to our committee clerk, Avin McGuire. Our committee analyst, by the way, uh, Lucia Nixon, also helps us keep track of the testimony that we heard and the, um, the legal analysis that we need to go through um, later when we hold a meeting to actually discuss and vote on the bill, which is called a work session. Uh, but today is the public hearing, and um, as part of the public hearing, 
Uh, we typically hear first from those speaking in favor of a bill. Um, after the sponsor, of course, first uh, Representative Maxman will present her bill, um, then those in favor, uh, followed by those in opposition, and finally those speaking neither for nor against. Um, due to the volume of testimony, I may actually um, alternate a little bit um, with uh, you know, some opponents mixed in with the proponents uh, um, every half hour or so, just to keep things lively. And um, you are limited uh, in your testimony um, to three minutes. So with that, and without further ado, we will begin uh, hearing testimony on LD 1282, an act to establish a Green New Deal for Maine. Uh, the sponsor, Representative Maxman, is with us to present the bill, and we'll go to proponents after that. Looks like starting with Matt Schlobohm and then Jason Shedlock. Representative Maxman, welcome. And we may hear from some co-sponsors during the day, I believe. Although yes. Um, they, I think, are going to be courteous and go a little later. Yes, we want to yeah. give the young folks here an Great. opportunity to testify. Uh, thank you, Representative Barry and Senator Lawrence in absentia. My name is Chloe Maxman. I represent House District 88, which includes Chelsea, Jefferson, Whitefield, and part of Nobleboro. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak in support of LD 1282, an act to establish a Green New Deal for Maine. Before I begin my remarks, I wanted to introduce a few amendments to the bill, which y'all should have. Um, the first one is just cleaning up the long-term reduction goal in Section A2. It just includes the date, January 1st, 2040. In Section B-2, I have amended the task force appointments, so the Senate President will appoint members D, E, and F, which corresponds to a renewable energy producer, a young person under 21, and two members from the labor community. The Speaker of the House appoints members in Part G, which is three members from the business community. And the governor appoints members A, B, and C, which are representative from the PUC, um, the Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, and a climate scientist. In Part G of Section B2, I've added Hancock and Washington counties to the definition of coastal counties. They were unintentionally left out of the definition. Uh, I've added some language in Section B3 on meetings, which says that the task force has to meet in at least three different locations in Maine. Uh, in Section B5, I've added some language that says that we can use findings from the task force report to introduce legislation in 2020 during the second regular session. Lastly, a new part is being added to the bill. Part E will create a requirement for hiring apprentices in the construction of electricity generation facilities in the state. Subject to the availability of qualified applicants, these construction progress projects are required to employ apprentices from registered apprenticeship programs as a certain percentage of all persons employed for the project. And folks will be speaking to that piece as well. So that completes my amendments to the bill. I grew up on my family's farm in Nobleboro, and for as long as I can remember, I have loved our home more than anything. When I was 12 years old, I began to understand the profound impacts of climate change. Since then, I've dedicated my life to fighting for Maine. I see climate change as the biggest threat to our shared home, the vibrancy of our economy, Maine's culture, and our way of life, past, present, and future. We all know what will happen to our oceans, lakes, rivers, forests, fields, farms, snow, seasons, and economy if the worst of climate change comes to pass. Maine's climate will be more like that of Maryland. Our winter snow season is expected to be half of what it is today, shortening snowmobile season, which is a $3 billion annual industry, by 70%. 
Sea level rise could be up to two feet by the end of the century, jeopardizing all our coastal communities. Our forests, the foundation of a $1.4 billion industry, will be forever altered. The Gulf of Maine, which fosters Maine's 393 million annual fishing industry, is already warming faster than 99% of the world's oceans. Our $160 million annual fruit and vegetable crops will suffer under drought, heat, and unpredictable weather. This means that, we, that all that we know and love about Maine is currently under threat. My childhood of ice fishing, snowmobiling, fishing, and farming is already so different from what I experience today. The changes are here and will only get worse. I will not stand by as climate change forever alters Maine and all that we love. Throughout my 14 years of working on this issue, I'm 26 now, I've recognized key themes that form the foundation of this bill. First, we need policy at all levels of government. We need national action to transition away from fossil fuels, but we also need bold state action. Maine is the most rural state in the country and the oldest state by age in the country. We need a just transition framework that is by and for our unique economy, population, and way of life. That responsibility falls to us as lawmakers. It is one of the reasons that I ran for office. Second, new policies need broad-based grassroots support that can unite all of us. Our fight for our future must rest on a foundation of bold legislation. The idea for this bill emerged from conversations that I had knocking on doors in my district. I heard the need for growing industries, lowering property taxes, creating good jobs, protecting our environment, and building a foundation for a vibrant Maine future. LD-1282 is crafted to address these goals. It is born and bred in District 88 and all rural working Maine. This bill is also crafted in close collaboration with Maine's labor community, many of whom you will hear from today. You may have heard that the national AFL-CIO came out in opposition to the National Green New Deal. The Maine AFL-CIO is the first state affiliate in the country to endorse Green New Deal legislation. That is because this bill is about bringing voices to the table that are usually excluded from the climate conversation and building the kind of political momentum that is required to address climate change. LD-1282 is Maine's unique approach to a Green New Deal, and it also sets an example for our nation of how to build broad, inclusive coalitions. Today, you will hear from many members of this coalition, including many young Mainers. They have been part of the movement to bring climate justice to the forefront of political dialogue across the nation and in Maine. Their voices are the beacon of moral clarity that these times require. Third, the transition to renewable energy must treat all Mainers fairly and equitably. One of the greatest injustices of climate change is that those who have contributed the least to the crisis are impacted the most. Maine is a perfect example. We rank 45th for energy-related CO2 emissions in the country, even though our entire way of life and economy are at stake. That's why this bill asks, how do we ensure that the transition to renewable energy is fair and just for all Mainers? We have an opportunity to make sure that no Mainer is left behind. And that is also the purpose of the Commission on a Just Transition, to report annually so that we're ensuring that no Mainer is left behind. Lastly, despite the massive crisis that we face, there is incredible economic opportunity for Maine, especially in the development of new occupations, workforce capabilities, and employment growth. This Maine Green New Deal is very different from the one on the national stage. It is targeted legislation, not a broad resolution. The bill focuses on economic growth for all Mainers. 
It is rooted in rural and working Maine, and it echoes the voices of District 88. As we talk about economic opportunities of renewable energy in Maine, we must be thoughtful, intentional, thorough, and strategic. We have the potential to revitalize many parts of Maine and create sustainable industries. Some might say that a task force is a way to avoid substantial engagement with this challenge. I disagree. As the legislature's recent experience with the opioid task force has shown, the task force model can effectively combine strategy with actionable legislation. LD 1282 charges a committed group of diverse stakeholders to collaborate in developing a powerful, effective strategy for our state's energy future, and one that will produce specific, realistic, and necessary legislation starting in 2020. The task force represents our best opportunity to chart a well-considered and actionable course for Maine. Working to fight climate change is daunting and exhausting. Never before has humanity faced such an overwhelming systemic crisis that impacts every single facet of our society with an urgent timeline for action that our political system typically strains to achieve. But it is the most important work for me as a Mainer. It is the most important work that we have as policymakers entrusted with securing a vibrant economic, social, and cultural future for Maine. It is time for Maine to lead. It is time for us to leave. We cannot stop fighting for what we love. Thank you very much, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Representative Maxman. Any questions from the committee? And while we greatly um, um, understand people's enthusiasm, um, one committee rule, just, just so, so you know, going forward, um, is that we don't test, we don't um, cheer or boo or respond in, in um, those ways in a committee hearing. Um, and that's really just for the, the order um, that is required um, of the, the process. So um, we do appreciate your, your enthusiasm, though. Any questions for Representative Maxman? All right, seeing none, thank you very much. Oh, Representative Kessler. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, welcome to our committee. Thank you. Um, I was wondering, uh, with these committee amendments, was, was this uh, part about apprenticeships, was that uh, added uh, in part by the influence of the AFL-CIO? Was that... Um, the part about apprenticeship programs was born out of the deep relationship that this bill has with the labor community and our collaboration, and there are folks here today who can speak in depth to what that program means. Okay. Thank you. Next up, we have uh, Matt Schlobohm from AFL-CIO. Good afternoon, Representative Barry and members of the Energy Utilities and Technology Committee. My name is Matt Schlobohm. I'm the executive director of the Maine AFL-CIO. We're a labor federation of 160 local unions for, representing 40,000 working men and women in this state. Um, and we proudly testify in support of LD-1282 today. Um, you've got my written testimony. I'll try and uh, hit the high points. I want to thank by thanking, I want to start by thanking Representative Maxman. She reached out very early in this process and asked for policy feedback. We had lots of honest conversations about the particular challenges the labor movement faces. We represent lots of members. We represent electricians and construction workers and mill workers and shipyard workers and public servants. And for some of those workers, the energy transition represents a massive opportunity as we build a renewable um, economy. For others, it represents what will be a difficult transition. Let's be real, let's be honest. And she crafted, and we jointly had lots of conversations about building a policy framework that recognizes both of those realities. Um, and we start on this issue 
from recognizing that collectively as a state, as a country, as a world, we face two related crises. The, the crises of a warming and planet and climate instability and the crisis of inequality. And I think there are two indisputable data points on both of those things. We know what science tells us about climate change. We know the urgency of the timeline. We also know that our world is becoming dramatically more unequal. Um, and we think it's urgent and essential that we address both of those things together. If we're going to build a renewable energy economy that's equitable and just and works for working class people, it has to recognize the deep inequality and wage stagnation that we start from. We appreciate that this bill does that and really tries to tackle those issues together. Um, we support the bill. Uh, for a number of reasons outlined in the testimony, the one I just mentioned about recognizing the, the twin nature of our economic and climate crisis. Um, secondly, the bill's inclusive. If we're going to equitably tackle a problem of this magnitude, we need more people involved, more directly impacted people involved. The energy and electricity conversations at a deep level in this state have, have honestly been a conversation with about 30 people in the room having those conversations. We need broader, deeper, bigger conversations to deal with the scale of the crisis. Third, I think the workforce training component around apprenticeship is essential. This is Maine Currents on WERU-FM. You're listening to a public hearing for a proposed bill that would establish a Green New Deal in Maine. This hearing was held by the Legislature's Energy, Utilities, and Technologies Committee last week. There was a technical problem with the sound at this point, and we missed a short portion of Matt Schlobom of the AFL-CIO's testimony, but we return now to his concluding remarks. We're of the mind in my last 10 seconds that jobs are never inherently good or bad. Industries are never inherently high road or low road. That really depends on the policy frameworks and whether workers are organized. Um, we think apprenticeship as a vital tool in this emerging sector of the economy is key to build a high road sector and to give employers and all of us the workforce we need for a 21st century renewable energy economy. I'll stop there given time and we'll be happy to answer any questions. Seeing no questions, um, I guess I'll, I'll um, allow myself one, um, which is, can, can you just, I think many members of the committee may not be uh, familiar with the existing DOL main apprenticeship program that yeah. you referenced at the end of your testimony. Can you just say in a nutshell sure. what that is and how it yeah. works? So apprenticeship is a basically a model where you earn while you learn. If an employer commits to the apprenticeship program, it means they're going to have a wage ladder, at which as you gain more training and experience, um, you get better pay and benefits. Um, it tries to match job training with jobs that exist. Um, it's a program that exists with hundreds of employers in the state, union and non. We know it best through the construction trades who can talk more about it and do a phenomenal job. But it's a way to guarantee that you have a trained workforce in an industry. It's a way that workers gain skills and can actually you know, go out and work under a journeyman electrician all day and take classes at night and build those skills while doing the work. It's a tried and true model that works around the world, and we think it makes sense to incentivize it, to utilize it, to bake it in to the renewable energy economy as a way to guarantee there's a trained workforce and as a way to make it a win-win high-road economy, not a low-road economy. And I think, you know, both of those options are, are possible. Thank you. Senator Woodson. Does your group support uh, more vocational training in the public schools? Absolutely, 100%. Good. Very good. Thank you. I think that was the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing no other questions, thank you. Mr. Thank Slobo. you. Others uh, to testify in support? 
Good afternoon, Representative Barry and members of the Committee on Energy, Utilities, and Technology. My name is Jason J. Shedlock, and I'm the Executive Director of the Maine State Building and Construction Trades Council. We represent 15 trades and nearly 5,000 workers across the state of Maine. I'm here to testify in support of LD 1282 and act to establish a Green New Deal for Maine. I rise in support of this legislation not only because it's the right step forward in equipping Maine to meet the environmental demands of both the present and the future, but also because in doing so we can meet the workforce needs now and on the horizon as well. I applied Representative Maximum and all of the co-sponsors of this legislation for their foresight and practical judgment they used to craft this bill and its accompanying amendment. We are especially pleased that the authors saw the benefit of incorporating job training into the green economy to ensure we're properly training the next generation of our main workforce. Put simply, the plan to phase in a registered apprenticeship requirement makes good environmental and economic sense. Ensuring that we are building in a state-approved way that will augment our already highly trained and effective workforce means that more Mainers will be able to sustain good-paying careers with benefits for their families. At the rate at which our construction workforce is aging, we're at a critical moment where we must backfill the massive amount of retirements across the construction industry. Registered apprenticeship is a proven way to meet that goal. The state's apprenticeship office does an amazing job empowering businesses and learners alike, and we look forward to continuing our work with them to meet this growing need. The affiliates of the Main State Building and Construction Trades Council are proud to be on the forefront of making sure that the green, this new green economy works for everyone. We look forward to our role in helping the state meet the environmental goals set out in LD 1282 and being a helping hand as future plans and policy is developed to shrink our carbon footprint. On behalf of the workers we represent and the environment that they live in, we urge the committee to vote ought to pass on LD 1282. Thank you. I'm happy to take any questions you might have. Thank you, Mr. Shedlock. And seeing no questions. Uh, Thank you. Senator Lawrence, Representative Barry, and honorable members of the Joint Standing Committee on Energy, Utilities, and Technology. My name is Haley Maurice. I am a resident of Brunswick, 20 years old, and I'm here today to testify in support of LD 1282. Um, I'm here today as a young person who has been working with Representative Maxman over the past several months during her development of this act. And I'd like to speak to why young Mainers are um, really trying to make this a priority um, here in Maine. Uh, the end of 2018 was filled with waves of youth activism across the nation and the globe. And I can say firsthand that it is young people that have really brought this climate crisis to the forefront of politics. Um, I got involved with Sunrise Movement last May, and I've been a part of conversations about what a Green New Deal could look like um, internally in the movement. And I've seen this movement grow from 20 hubs to 200 and have made the Green New Deal on a national level. Um, a key political question going forward into 2020 in the presidential elections. Um, all of this is happening internationally as well, but 2019 here is the rise of the youth climate justice movement in Maine. Um, we have Sunrise Movement and Maine Youth for Climate Justice growing among uh, schools and young communities here. Um, we have demanded our federal representatives support the federal Green New Deal and in March had hundreds participating in gatherings across the state um, in the international climate strikes. And today, hundreds of young people, as part of our first action as Maine Youth for Climate Justice, are standing together, meeting with our elected officials, and making, that, making know that our future and Maine's future matters. So I'd like to make clear that um, as long as we need to, as young people, we have every intention of growing further 
uh, beyond this, but young people in Maine understand uh, this peculiar, peculiar reality of our generation at this time, and that is that no matter how hard that we work ourselves to create the futures that we want, it is the decisions of our leaders right now, this is you guys, that have this power that dictates so much about our future. And it is the most urgent responsibility that any political leadership has ever had in the history of humanity. The youth voice, voice matters and has been included in this bill in a way that I really have not seen. Um, young people in Maine also understand and crucially believe that this transition that happens uh, must happen in a way that, that brings benefits to Maine and makes sure that no Mainer actually does get left behind. Um, so Maine Youth for Climate Justice, Sunrise Movement, these organizations, our missions are grounded in making sure that this happens in a just and equi equitable way um, and making sure that we address the science and we also address the issues in our society as well. So I'm thrilled to say that during the last few months, I've been able to work with Representative Maxman to have the youth voice heard um, in this bill. And from day one, she has been listening, and not even just listening, but reaching out and trying to get young people involved in this, um, listening to our priorities and our concerns as youth looking forward to these futures. Um, this bill combines the concern of youth, of labor, um, of key groups and individuals and stakeholders in this, in the climate crisis, and really develops key frameworks that will enable Maine to ensure a livable future for Maine young people, for job security and job training for those who are vulnerable in this transition, and affordable re renewable energy for all Mainers. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no questions, we appreciate your testimony. Hello, my name is Laura Morris. I'm a resident of Portland, Maine. Um, I'm here to test, uh, today to testify in favor of LD1282. Um, everyone has an individual responsibility to control their carbon footprint. However, when 70% of global emissions come from major companies, it's no longer on the individual. It's, on our it's our government's responsibility to protect us. Capitalism values industry over the individual. It will never protect the people. The economy and the environment are intertwined in Maine. Climate policy should reflect that. I'm here today to fight not only for my future, but for all young people today. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Morris. Seeing no questions, we appreciate your coming. Welcome. Thank you. Senator Lawrence, Representative Barry, and honorable members of the Joint Standing Committee on Energy, Utilities, and Technology. My name is Ezekiel Smith, and I am a student at Bates College. Here, I'm here today to deliver a testimony on behalf of a fellow Maine student, um, Salem Desta, who couldn't make it today. So from here on out, personal voices, um, Salem. I'm a student at Deering High. I'm a resident of Portland, Maine, and I'm here in favor of LD-1282. As many of you here know today, climate change will and is affecting the heart of Maine's environment and economy, as well as the lives of people, specifically people of color. Environmental racism is a pertinent issue that our nation faces and this state faces. However, when talking about climate change, we almost never talk about how it has disproportionately affected black and brown people. Now, with living in a more urbanized, oh, when talking about racism, we tend to discuss police brutality and criminal justice, but racism can be found through an assortment of aspects, including our environment. In a study by the University of Minnesota, they found that black people are exposed to 56% more air pollution than they cause, Hispanics are exposed to 63% more air pollution than they cause, while white people are exposed to 17% less air pollution than they cause. The fact is that people of color are more likely to be exposed to polluted air. Now, with living in a more urbanized area of Maine, 
I have noticed some elements of an environmental racism embedded in our community. In South Portland, a lot of the affordable housing, such as Brick Hill and Red Bank, are near Portland's airport. Reports across the world have shown that living near the airport is actually bad for your health. A U.S. study showed that people who live within six miles of an airport have higher levels of asthma and heart problems. Researchers from Columbia University also found that there are higher levels of carbon monoxide in communities near airports and increased hospitalization rates for respiratory conditions, such as asthma, for residents of those communities. And these effects are not restrained to low-income people of color because racism trumps class. Even middle-income African Americans are more likely to live in more polluted neighborhoods. This is a quote by Dr. Robert Bullard, the Dean of the School of Public Affairs at Texas Southern University, explaining that in spite of wealth, black people have a higher probability of moving into polluted areas. I live in Brick Hill, and I have friends and family who live in the communities in Southern Maine that are most adversely affected by environmental racism and climate change. Legislators have been writing environmental legislation for decades, but this legislation means very much to me because it establishes the commission on a just transition to ensure that the shift to a low carbon economy benefits all residents fairly and equitably. There is no climate justice without social justice. Our earth belongs to all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no questions, we appreciate your testimony. Good afternoon, Representative Barry and members of the committee. My name is Isaac Smith. I'm 19 years old. I am a member and apprentice of the IBEW, and I'm a resident of Auburn. I'm here today to talk in favor of LD 1282. This, uh, this is an incredibly important bill because it addresses two immediate problems facing Maine, climate change and our need for good paying jobs in Maine. And when I say jobs, it's a bit of a misnomer because an apprenticeship is truly a training for a career. It's the trade school equivalent of a college with two distinct differences. One, it guarantees you work. And two, you don't fall into debt. There's a scientific consensus that climate change is real. It is caused by humans emitting fossil fuels and it threatens the future of life on this planet. The United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, estimates that we have just 12 years left to drastically cut fossil emissions to avert a climate catastrophe. But we have the new renewable energy technology available. So let's get to work. LD 1282 would set us on the right path by ensuring that 80% of Maine's electricity comes from renewable energy sources. And that's where the jobs come in. As a young person, I know how hard it can be to find good paying jobs in Maine, and this will create thousands of jobs, not only to build these renewable energy sources, but also to service them over the years, keeping Mainers in work. The only way we're going to fill these positions, though, is with a massive job training program. We need to have qualified, trained, responsible people on these jobs who will be able to get stuff done right the first time. Although I haven't been in this industry long, I've seen firsthand what happens when contractors cut corners, get low-paid workers, unskilled labor, and we have to go back and fix mistakes. It wastes man hours, it wastes money, it wastes time, and 
an apprenticeship would truly help to streamline the process of this Green New Deal. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you, Mr. Smith. Seeing no questions, we appreciate your testimony. Thank you. And good luck with your apprenticeship. <clears throat> good evening, Senator Lawrence, Representative Barry, and members of the committee. My name is Grant Provost. I am the business agent for the Ironworkers Local 7 in the state of Maine. Ironworkers Local 7 is a construction trade, and we erected the Block Island Wind Farm in Rhode Island, the first offshore wind farm in the Northeast. We also erected a Bangor Savings Bank headquarters, which includes a large solar array on the roof of the parking garage in conjunction with the electricians local. I am here to support 1282 and act to establish a Green New Deal for the state of Maine. Speaking as a fourth-generation Mainer, I am more than excited about this legislation. This is a chance for Maine to be a leader in making investments into green technologies and to create good-paying jobs. <clears throat> it is past due for humanity to accept one of its greatest downfalls, treating our home like a dumpster. This bill is a common-sense initiative to break the cycle of pollution, human-caused environmental disasters. Collectively, we all have the knowledge to accept the facts. The climate is changing. Oceans are not only rising, but they're getting warmer and more acidic. Droughts are longer, fires harder to contain, hurricanes bigger. The ice cap on Kilimanjaro is almost gone, and a vast majority of glaciers are receding. The last round of floods in the Midwest delayed crop planting until late spring and <clears throat> ruined previous crops, such as soybeans and corn. How much is all this costing us? Each year, there are multiple natural disasters, which is costing communities hardest hit billions, if not trillions of dollars. Puerto Rico, Houston, Texas, New Orleans, the Florida Keys, and Paradise, California have all been hit hard by these climate-related disasters in recent years. To think that we are in not any way responsible for changes in our environment is like jamming your head in the sand, hoping it will all go away. It's time to make serious changes. In 2018, the permitting of offshore wind farms in the Northeast surpassed the amount spent on oil and natural gas exploration. Mainers have turned down two large LNG plants in Eastport and Searsport, and we have, we, had, we have had no further fossil fuel investments. We have seen how one drunk can ruin miles of pristine wilderness and kill thousands of marine creatures with the Exxon Valdez. We watched while millions of gallons of oil spilt into the Gulf of Mexico and accident <clears throat> fueled by corporate greed. We have seen mountains that have been stripped, mined for coal, topsoil, and vegetation removed for tar sands and aquifers ruined by fracking. How is this sustainable energy future anyone would be proud of handing their children? The world population ballooning over 7 billion, sustainability should be at the forefront of any energy infrastructure conversation. I'll just jump to the end. Maine has an unprecedented opportunity to be a leader in changing the green economy. I think we should take a step in supporting this legislation. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Provost. Appreciate your testimony. Seeing no oh, Representative Foster. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, Representative Steve Foster from Dexter, uh, representing <coughs> District 104, Charleston, Dexter, Exeter, Stetson, and Garland. Uh, one question. Yes. The next to last paragraph, which you didn't, uh, I didn't quite have time it. enough to get to. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, the inequity, if you will, of how much you can make working out of the state of Maine versus working in-state. And I think that's probably true for a lot of different professions, true. especially in the construction trade. Yes. Uh, but I'm wondering, uh, 
how you see that changing, and if you do see that changing with this, uh, as a result of what would come from this bill, where that money is going to come from, what other jobs are going to be there to provide that increase in pay for the situation versus where it is now. Uh, right now we're enjoying an improved economy, if you will, in the state of Maine. So I'm curious as to how you uh, see that. Thank you. Okay. So um, in the state of Maine, um, we have a lot less of a footprint. I am the sole person who runs the whole local for the whole state of Maine. I have a 35,000-mile area, and I have to travel all over it. I select apprentices. I organize members from the non-union to get into the program when we have a, a, uh, more work. We negotiate um, pay increases, um, and our CBA has a set rate. Every six months, we have an increase in pay. No matter what, apprentices go through steps. They also have increments in pay. Um, for total costs on projects, we all know that labor is a small percentage of them. And most in the state of Maine, due to the lack of foothold that the unions do have, a lot of that ends up getting sucked up to the top. Overall cost of a project don't, does not change. Just the, um, the owners of the company that bid it and their office end up with more of the profits than the actual people. Um, the state of Maine has had, long had low-paying construction jobs due to the amount of power that the employees hold over their employer, uh, employers hold over their employees. There's not a lot of options for them. Um, I, can I give you an example of a job that is going on now in the state of Maine? Okay. So at Maine Med, we have a, a, a contractor there. He was uh, um, in our local before. He is paying all of his employees the package from Massachusetts, which is $84 an hour. He's still got the bid against somebody else who, um, on the same project, doing a different part, but the same un 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 uh, underneath iron workers umbrella. So it's the rebar versus the structural. So he's, the, the rebar people are paying their guys $13 an hour, and the guy's driving all the way from Bangor to fill a job in Portland. My, my employer is paying $84 an hour that includes uh, health care benefits um, and a 401k on top of a pension. So as you can see how he was still able to obtain a bid with the numbers there, he just pays his employees more, which, I mean, at least a greater tax base, which goes back into the whole um, funding infrastructure in public schools, too. The more you pay um, the workforce, the more that goes back into the, the system. Did I, did I meander to the, to the point there? Yeah, just okay. Very good. Thank you, Mr. Provost. Thank you. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. This is a public hearing for a proposed bill that would establish a Green New Deal in Maine held by the legislature's Energy, Utilities, and Technology Committee last week. Um, I, uh, I see we have a representative in the room who needs to get back to a, another committee, so we're going to um, let Representative Hickman uh, jump in here and testify, and then we'll go back to the regular order. I need to apologize. I have to go present a bill, so I'm going to hand this over to a senior member of our committee who hasn't often had the opportunity to chair. Thank you. Representative Rikerson. Thank you, Senator Lawrence, Representative Barry, Representative Rikerson, and other distinguished members of the Joint Standing Committee on Energy, Utilities, and Technology. Pardon my voice. My name is Craig Hickman. I represent District 81, my hometown of Winthrop, and also Reedfield and a part of North Monmouth at the foot of Mount Pisgah. 
I'm a proud organic farmer, the House Chair of the Joint Standing Committee on Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry, and today I stand in support of LD 1282, an act to establish a Green New Deal for Maine. A farmer's livelihood depends on a healthy environment, and the quality of life of the people of the state depends on prosperous farmers. In fact, when we reestablished the Department of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Resources in the early 70s, the legislature declared that programs that involve employment opportunities, rural skills, food supply, the health and nutrition of the rural people of Maine will improve the economy of Maine and improve the rural quality of life and the health of all people and are therefore in the public interest. That improving the rural quality of life and the values was a joint responsibility of all public agencies, local, state, and federal, whose policies and programs substantially impact the economy and general welfare of the people of the state. For these reasons, it is of grave importance that we have a Green New Deal that is built for rural communities and that requires the collaboration of public agencies in order to strengthen the legislative intent and the purpose of building these resilient rural communities. And so while the Green New Deal doesn't directly address agriculture, we know that the future of agriculture and access to nourishing food for all people depends on climate action. We can look no further than the massive floods in the Midwest that came about after a blistering cold spell, followed by a blizzard, followed by more sub-zero temperatures, followed by a bomb cyclone, which is basically a winter hurricane caused by a severe drop in atmospheric pressure that rips up gigantic chunks of ice and throws them all about. That was followed by unseasonably warm weather, causing rapid melting of much of that ice mixed in with unceasing rains that caused levees to break and riverbanks to overflow leaving farms literally underwater and the death of a multitude of newborn calves all across Nebraska. It was a tragedy to our farmers, our farms, and our food supply. And so while this Green New Deal does not directly address agriculture, I can say that as a fourth-term lawmaker, it is beyond time that we stand behind climate policy that is inclusive, that focuses on justice and equity for people and the planet, and that seeks to uplift people in rural communities. I applaud Representative Maxman for her work on climate change here and outside of the legislature for her work on this bill, and I look forward to seeing the Green New Deal for Maine reported out of this committee ought to pass. Thank you for your consideration. I'm happy to take a question. Uh, thank you, Representative. Any questions from the committee? Have a great afternoon. Good afternoon, honorable members of the Joint Standing Committee on Energy, Utilities, and Technology. My name is Haley Krim. I'm a resident of Lewiston, and I am here today to testify in favor of LD 1282. Science, ethics, and economics are absolutely clear. We must transition to renewable energy. Market forces demand it just as much as climate justice does. We have to ensure that this transition does not exacerbate existing inequalities or leave Maine behind. I'm a senior at Bates, and for my thesis, I modeled the transition to renewable energy in Lewiston. I found that we can produce more than double our current electricity consumption with only the re resources available within city limits. Not only that, but we have the power to transition every single residence to electric heating and still have $4 million worth of electricity left over. This transition would completely negate the cost of heating fuels, and depending on how the grid is governed, it has the potential to lower electricity prices by more than a third. That's just Lewiston. This transition poses an incredible opportunity for the climate action, for public health improvement, and for economic development in Maine. Renewable energy is coming anyway, either it or catastrophe. 
LD-1282 would facilitate this transition and usher in all of the benefits it delivers to companies, to workers, and to consumers. More importantly, the bill's committees would ensure that all Mainers, who all have a lot to gain from the transition to renewable energy and everything to lose to climate change, have a say in the design of our future. We must do everything in our power to make sure that the many benefits of a low-carbon economy do not pass us by. By passing LD-1282 and convening its committees that represent people who are traditionally left out of the legislative process, we give ourselves the chance to take charge of our future and build a cleaner, healthier, more prosperous, and more equitable Maine. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Grimm. Are there any questions from the committee? Yes, Senator. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Haley, you're a senior and you're doing a thesis. Now, can you give us a, a short summary of how you came about to, to the conclusion that you could produce more than double the current uses in Lewiston and for our residences? Of course. Um, so I used a variety of methods. I looked at a distributed hybrid renewable energy system. So that includes small generators distributed around the city, not big solar farms or wind farms. Um, and it also incorporated four different types of renewable energy generators, um, solar power, micro hydropower, in-pipe hydropower, and like water delivery systems and wastewater, um, and then also um, electric heating. So. By combining all of those and using satellite data and the most recent available data for in those technologies implemented in practice, I was able to model what a transition would look like in Lewiston. And this is also a conservative estimate, I would say. Now, did your study include weatherization at all? It did not. Um, that was kind of outside of the scope of my project. I was just looking at energy. Um, but with that, this would definitely, especially the heating component, would be a lot lower, would take up a lot less of the available energy, and have, we would have even more um, excess energy to export to the grid. Thank you. Thank you. I have pins and needles from sitting so long. But um, honorable members of the Joint Standing Committee of Energy, Utilities, and Technology, my name is Marty Fox, and I'm a resident of Wiscasset. I'm a retired engineer, and I'm here today to testify in favor of LD-1282. I would like to advise you that the Union of Concerned Scientists have submitted to the committee a letter supporting the Green New Deal bill. I hope you have a chance to read it. I've been a member of the Union of Concerned Scientists for 28 years, uh, just showing you how long I've been supporting the climate change uh, aspect of things. I've joined uh, Union Concerned Scientists because of their rigorous scientific analysis and their work to solve the planet's most pressing problems. Some states have instituted some of their ideas, but much more is needed to be done to reverse the effects of climate change that we have caused. I'll skip a couple of paragraphs here. Uh, I'm a grandfather. I'm very worried about the world my grandchildren will be living in. Time is running out. We need to act now. LD-1282 is one part of the solution to give our youth a better future. Show them that you care for them by passing this bill. Their future is in the, decision, the decisions that you make. Um, I'd also like to add, um, since Senator Berry, 
I mean, Representative Barry had mentioned, uh, add a little uh, other knowledge. I realize that a lot of people still think that it is not man-made, uh, climate change is not man-made. Um, I'd like to point out, yes, there are cycles, um, but what the difference is, the rate of change, how fast things have been changing. And that's, um, everybody's aware of all the catastrophes that we've been having recently. And they're just speeding up, and it's going to continue to speed up unless we address these problems. Thank you for your opportunity to address this very important bill. Any questions? <clears throat> Thank you, Ms. Fox. Any questions from the committee? Senator Woodson. Thank you. Um, do you have any concerns uh, that, I mean, certainly man has caused a lot of problems for our environment. And uh, this bill does not mention anything about uh, the study or establishment of uh, recycling, uh, uh, removal of uh, hazardous materials, of all this new implementation. Do you think that should be a part of this? And how, how do we deal with the results of worn-out parts and stuff? The results of what? Worn-out parts. In other words, everything deteriorates after a while. What do we do? For well, I realize the um, automotive industry does have uh, recycling plants. Uh, plants of uh, parts and stuff like that, uh, and that's a big cause of pollution. Um, uh, see, there are other bills, as you're aware, uh, that address the plastic bag situation. Um, there, um, there are a lot of plastic waste that is going into the ocean, and that's why it's critical for the legislature to act to um, recycle, reuse, and not uh, dispose of those. No, I hear you and I agree, okay, but I'm talking about the the additional products that are going to be made if this bill goes forth. How do we handle, should that not, should not that the disposal <clears throat> of the products that are going to be used here, 50 years from now, 2040, I mean, should we not also be studying that and planning ahead? Uh, th there is technology being developed now to recycle plastics. Uh, there are uh, actually bio um, bioprocesses uh, where they break down even uh, thermoset type of uh, plastics. So um, I don't think a bill can address that problem. I think uh, technology has to be developed to. Um, you know, address, address those problems. Okay, thank you. Good afternoon, Senator Lawrence, Representative Barry, and members of the committee. My name is Nick Parkett. I'm an electrician, director of business development, president, organizer of International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 1253. I live in Benton. I'm here today. I'm here today to strongly support LD 1282, an act to establish a Green New Deal for Maine. The scientific evidence is overwhelming. Climate change poses an imminent threat to life on this, on this planet. And the only way we're going to be able to stop this dangerous trend is if we end our dependence on fossil fuels and make ambitious investments in renewable energy. While the threat of climate change is serious, it's also an opportunity to transition to a renewable energy economy and create good-paying local jobs 
with retirement and benefits. <clears throat> but in order to make sure these jobs pay living wages and ensure that work is done right, it is critical that workers have a seat at the table. That's why we are grateful that Representative Maxman solicited input from workers for the drafting of this bill by requiring that up to a, <clears throat> a quarter of the workforce of these large renewable energy projects will be trained through state and federal registered apprenticeships. This will ensure that we have the skilled workforce that this legislation will require. In our experience, these apprenticeships are the best way to ensure that the work is done safely and correctly and that the jobs will pay a middle-class wages. Our members have a lot of experience working on renewable energy projects and we're ready to work. We strongly urge you to support LD 1282 to fight climate change and create good jobs for Maine workers. Thank you. Thank you. Seventy-three people submitted testimony with all but a few in favor of passage of the bill, sometimes with some recommended amendments. Others who testified in support included several other legislators, the Governor's Energy Office, the Maine Council of Churches, several students, including one as young as nine years old, and representatives from environmental groups and the Maine People's Alliance. In the first hour and a half that we were recording, no one spoke in opposition. No one responded when the legislators asked if anyone would like to testify in opposition. But submitting testimony against the bill uh, were the Associated Contractors of Maine, who uh, testified that the bill, as currently drafted, raised concerns for them that unionized labor would be given preference. And a few people also testified that the goals in the proposed Maine Green New Deal are either too weak or too far in the future. The PUC and AMIRA took neither for nor against stances, with AMIRA suggesting that a representative of one of the electric companies should be included as a member of the task force. And a representative from CMP testified in favor. And that public hearing was held last week. The committee held a work session on the bill yesterday. There was discussion of other solar legislation that is pending and of the governor's proposal for a climate change council and how to coordinate efforts wherever possible. Representative Chloe Maxman, the sponsor of the Green New Deal bill, told the committee that discussions are already underway with the governor's office. There was a lot of discussion of the solar panels on schools section of this bill as well. One committee member expressed concerns about school roofs, noting that the ones he's worked at all leaked. An efficiency Maine trust representative told the committee that he has spoken with the Department of Education and said it was a fruitful discussion and there's more collaboration they could do. The planning and review process would include evaluating the school's roofs. Opportunities exist with new construction and with schools undergoing repairs. He would suggest, he said, that this be looked at as a 10-year initiative as opening this up to all schools in Maine at once would be too difficult to manage. There were concerns about the cost of solar installations on the schools, who would pay for them, and whether poorer schools would be able to take advantage of the program expressed by some committee members. The committee asked the Efficiency Maine Trust to talk with school systems about what would be cost-efficient, green, and educational, and report back to the committee. Representative Maxman told the committee that she attended a school that could not afford solar panels, so she and other students raised funds for them. 
A committee member said the majority of the main workforce is not organized and asked Maxman why a member of unorganized labor is not included on the proposed task force. She responded that she supports organized labor. Another committee member challenged the question asking who would represent unorganized labor given that they are unorganized. Yesterday's work session on LD 1282, an act to establish a Green New Deal for Maine, ended with the committee asking the stakeholders to meet and discuss possible solutions for some of the issues that have been raised. Rather than voting on the bill yesterday, which would normally happen at the end of a work session, the Joint Committee on Energy Utilities and Technology tabled the bill with plans to hold another work session. So that means there's still time for anyone who has an opinion about this bill to send comments to the members of the committee. You can find the list of committee members. Again, this is the Energy Utilities and Technology Committee. You can find that at legislature.maine.gov. The date for the next work session has not been announced. We asked Representative Chloe Maximin for her impressions following the work session yesterday evening. She responded, quote, the bill is tabled, but the conversation was strong and robust. It's going to be a very strong bill. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Be sure to catch Maine Currents here on the first Thursday of every month at 10. If you miss a program, you can listen anytime on our archives at weru.org, and you can send story ideas and suggestions to news at weru.org. Stay tuned for On the Wing with Mark Dyer coming up next here on WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming live at weru.org.